Hello, cyber friends. This is Chatting Cyber, and I'm your host, Mark Shine. This podcast focuses on how companies can help qualify and quantify the cost of a data breach. Chatting Cyber features some of the most well-respected privacy and cyber experts in the world. Join the conversation with business leaders, government agencies, and cyber experts to learn more about how and why they got into this ever-changing field that we call cyber risk. Hello, cyber colleagues. I'm Mark Shine, National Co-Chair of the Cyber Center of Excellence here at Marshall McLennan Agency and the host of Chatting Cyber Podcast. Today, we have a very special cyber celebrity with us, Thomas Britton. Thomas, thank you for joining with us. And yeah, no, I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So, so Thomas, you know, we were talking earlier before the show had started, and obviously I want to first thank you for your service, you know, both for what you and your family have done from, a, um, you know, serving our country. Um, my question is, is, you know, how, how does it, as a guy who ended up uh, military background, end up being the associate managing director for one of the most prestigious IR firms worldwide? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, honestly, I think a, a big part of it starts with the foundation from the military, the training, uh, and honestly, the opportunity that you're given. Whenever you encounter a situation in the military, there is no option for failure. So it doesn't matter if you know it or not. You, you find a way, you find a path forward, whether that's figuring it out from a technical perspective or finding that right person who has a skill set to, to essentially pull the knowledge from them to learn how to do it yourself. Uh, so I think that really ultimately helped that is just personal drive. You know, I think in this career field in cybersecurity, uh, really everybody has to be the CEO of their own career. Nobody's going to give it to you on a silver platter. So, so Thomas, you know, we have a lot of young listeners that are trying to get into cybersecurity. Um, do you have any guidance or any tips for them, um, given that you've been so successful um, um, transferring from a, a, um, a, private, a public background into the private sector? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the first keys is going to be uh, get a home lab set up, right? If you really want to break into cybersecurity, you're going to have to tinker with different applications, software, tools that are out there. There are a lot of great sites that provide uh, free education. Uh, INE is one, TryHackMe is another. Uh, really just depends on which area or avenue you want to get into, but learn the basics first. Uh, you know, how does a computer work? How does networking work? And a lot of these sites like INE or TryHackMe provide some level of foundation. And there's other avenues like Professor Messer on YouTube that offer free videos to get that background or education. Sure. And, and would you recommend, uh, I know this is a little bit of an open-ended question, but, um, you know, given everything that you're seeing in cybersecurity today, um, the rise in both frequency and severity of events, would you encourage younger professionals to get into this type of field? Or is this an area that, you know, there, there's a little too much chaos and perhaps they should be uh, looking somewhere else. So, so I think there's definitely a need for uh, additional uh, personal professionals within this career field, this industry. Um, but really, you have to have a knack or a desire to be here. This is not just a career field. You're going to come in, you're going to get a great salary, and you're going to do the job, right? Like if you don't thoroughly enjoy it, you don't have the ability to think outside the box and really try to... Um, take on new or challenges, uh, then this may not be the right career field for most. Because um, the way I like to look at this is this is a chess game, right? So for every move we make, the adversary is making a counter move. They're constantly adapting to the things that we're doing. And so we have to be ready to adapt. And sometimes that means creating a new tool on the fly, creating new detection capabilities or log analysis capabilities on the fly to be able to figure out what that adversary is doing. 
So, you know, recently we've seen a, a significant amount of call for government intervention um, with regards to um, helping the private sector combat cyber risk uh, from nation states and, and some of these um, um, cyber gangs. Um, was just curious to see if you were familiar with the, um, the executive order that President Biden had just passed and if you have any comments to that order. Yeah, I, I am uh, vaguely familiar with the order. Uh, you know, I can't go into the specifics of all the different um, yeah, items that were called out in there, but the biggest question for me is really about funding. So you have an executive order that's released in the middle of the year. A lot of government organizations have likely already allocated their uh, funding to other projects, and they're in their end of year um, unfunded season, if you will, where they're trying to figure out how to fund those things that, that have popped up. Um, so for me, where's the money going to come from? Is that going to be pushed okay. down through Congress to these different organizations to actually allow them to implement the different initiatives, such as enabling uh, the organizations to deploy out endpoint detection response capabilities? Excellent. So, so um, you know, would you be able to share with us a little bit about what Crow is able to do for organizations that do get compromised? Because I know that you guys have a very unique model and perhaps more unique than most uh, other providers out in the marketplace. And it's more of a 360 type of model. So when somebody, you know, we're going to get into the Russian gangs, but just where areas would Crow be able to help uh, some of our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So Kroll really does uh, live in that 360 degree realm of cybersecurity. We have teams that will handle everything from forensics and incident response. If businesses find themselves in a potential situation where somebody's gained unauthorized access, dropped malware, ransomware in their environment, uh, we have insider threats, payment card breaches, things of that nature. Uh, we're really able to help them understand what transpired, rewind that tape, and get the facts so that they know what business decisions they need to make moving forward to include legal notice obligations. We also have a breach notice service that then can take that specific situation and help them with that notification process that includes everything from credit monitoring to call center support. Great. Uh, and in other cases, we also have a proactive cybersecurity. Uh, team that does security assessments, penetration testing, vulnerability assessments. Really, that's looking holistically at a business's cybersecurity maturity. They're looking at people, processes, and technology, and how those three really synergistically work together in each business. Great. Um, so, so now let's get into the fact where, you know, um, taking it more from a macro perspective, um, we've been hearing a lot about uh, ransomware gangs. Can you tell us a little bit about these gangs? Where are they located? What are they doing? Um, how are they funding themselves? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think the, the funding is largely being driven by the ransom payments that they're, they're receiving. Uh, ransomware has been very successful. I, you know, I want to say in 2019, I was seeing ransom demands, you know, 500,000, 600,000, you know, not quite in the million range. And then we fast forward to 2020 and I saw ransom demands upwards of $60 million. Sure. Uh, and, and the reason for that increase is because they were successful. And so they started demanding more. They also started getting more strategic in how they were identifying the value of a company and what they could really pay. Uh, what we are seeing is a lot of these ransomware threat actor groups, they seem to be Eastern European uh, based. Uh, a part of that's driven by the um, 
the broken English in their their speaking, certain uh, terms or words that they'll use. Um, yeah, so for the most part, that's where we're, we're seeing it. And when you think about uh, from a, a geopolitical perspective, uh, there's not a lot of scrutiny placed on these ransomware threat actor groups, um, as long as they don't target certain countries like Russia, China, or Iran. They're usually left alone and left to run autonomously. So, so, you know, like like anybody else, you know, post pandemic, I would imagine there's a, a recruitment uh, a strategy behind this. How do these ransomware gangs recruit such skilled uh, individuals? You know, I, I think a part of it is is um, the the governments may potentially, and this is pure um, speculation, they may potentially sure, use sure. that as an avenue to. Uh, try and test folks out, test their loyalty for that country, uh, hook them up with a ransomware gang, and then essentially say, if you're able to achieve, um, you know, gaining access to some network that allows us to then ransom it, uh, then that may potentially help them and their family gain stature within that country. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be honest and say that I, I don't dive too deep into the realm for the recruitment process sure. uh, to be able to dive real deep there. Sure, sure. So, so, you know, we've spoken about some of these ransomware gangs, but then there seem to be more that have become more prevalent uh, in, in, in recent months. Um, you know, depending on who you ask, Revel, Revel, uh, branded a couple of different ways, right? Um, is there anything that you could tell us about this particular organization, perhaps what their history is like, and then, you know, what led up to this massive incident that they recently um, um, unleashed? Yeah, absolutely. So I know I've been involved with this this threat actor group for the last few years, uh, and, and in 2019, I actually made a, a significant change in their tactics. Uh, rush, excuse me, not in 2019, at the beginning of 2020. Uh, so in May's in, in 2020, we had May's the threat actor group who shifted to data exfiltration extortion. January 2020, so Nokibi took a page from Maze and essentially went out and extorted their first victim, exfiltrating data from their network. They subsequently leveraged that tactic or technique moving throughout 2020 because it was successful. You know, they, they essentially bypassed uh, the, the backup strategy of being able to recover from backups without having to pay to get a decryptor. Um, one of the, the biggest techniques or tactics with this threat actor group has been exploiting internet connected vulnerable systems, as well as uh, managed security provider platforms like RMM tools, similar to Kaseya, mm -hmm. which is actually what led to this recent incident uh, at the beginning of July. They were able to get access to a zero day vulnerability that hadn't been previously publicly disclosed. Uh, and that gave them the ability to gain access to Kaseya's VSA uh, platform that then allowed them to uh, essentially set up a package to push out ransomware to that managed service provider's uh, clients. Uh, one of the key things uh, around that actually has to do with the, how the push was done. Um, they actually ended up setting a script that looked at the time zone for where um, that business was running. And they really tried to synchronize so that they had uh, the ransomware deployment going globally at the exact same time so that these businesses didn't have a chance to recover. Because uh, a lot of these next generation antivirus tools or capabilities could potentially have picked it up and two hours later maybe saved another business from getting a hit through a concept of herd immunity. Um, 
One key question I have is where did they get access to this zero day? They're not usually known for creating zero days themselves. Um, so I wonder how or who gave them access to that. We haven't seen any chat on the dark web that's giving any indication. We, um, do we think that this might be a nation state that was sponsoring or helping, or is that just hearsay at this point? I would say it's hearsay. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the, the way I like to look at it is, um, you know, if you are being harbored in a country and that country is not taking action to bring you to justice, then is that country effectively supporting you? Sure. So you started to talk about Kaseya. Um, for the listeners that are not aware of what Kaseya was or uh, um, what the product was and or what the incident that happened, can you just share with them um, what happened in July? Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, so Kaseya actually offers a remote management or remote administration tool called uh, VSA or Virtual System Administrator. Essentially, what that tool does is it allows um, either a business or a managed service provider to be able to manage the assets within their environment. That can include things like uh, pushing out software, which in this case is, is actually what happened at the beginning of July. A threat actor group known as Soden Revel got access to Caseya uh, through several clients or through several MSPs specifically. And then they were able to push out software, ransomware specifically in this case, to potentially up to 1,500 businesses globally, all at the exact same time. So it's very effective from an IT management perspective, but unfortunately, the threat actors like to gain access to our environments and leverage the same tools that we do because of the reach of the capability and access that those tools have. Sure. So, so is this unique in this particular attack that the fact that they didn't go after the actual clients, but rather they went after these managed service providers? So with Soden Okibi, it's actually not really unique. They've done this before back in, in 2019. Uh, so this is not, not a new tactic for them. Uh, and when you think about it, the, the ability to reach multiple victims at once is actually very enticing uh, because that can lead to a larger payday, right? So instead of hitting one client that maybe has a hundred or a thousand endpoints, you hit in this case, 1500 businesses totaling over endpoints. Uh, so it's very effective for them to achieve that at scale. Um, yeah, it's a pretty effective tactic. And unfortunately it's devastating when it happens. Absolutely. And is there an average? And again, I know that I, I know the answer is no, right? There is no average demand. But I mean, wh- where are you seeing the range, perhaps either on this particular incident and/or some of the others that have crossed your desk in 2021? Um, again, I know you're talking about ten thousand dollars earlier, a couple of years back, all the way up to sixty million dollars. Is, is that very much the range, and no rhyme or reason, or or are you seeing a little bit more of a finite range? So it really depends on the threat actor. Uh, some of the more sophisticated ones, they'll go and they'll look at the company's financials and they'll try to make a determination of what that company can feasibly pay. For some of the uh, less sophisticated threat actors, they just want to get a quick payday. So they will intentionally keep that demand uh, you know, relatively low to a few thousand dollars a system. And even in some cases, a few thousand dollars just for the whole entire network, just so they get that quick payday. Uh, so there really isn't a, a set... Um, 
you know, I'll say average, if you will, with sure. this specific scenario, the initial number that was released was $70 million for universal decryptor. Yeah. However, that was then lowered down to 50 million. Uh, what's interesting though, is, you know, who's going to pay $50 million to get that universal decryptor. So they end up uh, having to pay one by one for each business. Yeah. So what we're seeing is not necessarily Kaseya going out and paying for this universal uh, 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 decryptor, rather they're paying for the individual keys, or is it the businesses that are the ones that are paying for these individual keys to unlock their, their, their network? Yeah, so it really depends on whether the business uh, has cyber insurance that could potentially pay for that, or if it's something that they'll pay for. When I think about paying for a ransom, there's a couple key considerations that, that come into play. The, the first consideration really is what is your ability to recover as a business? Mm -hmm. uh, do, you, do you have backups that you can recover? If you do, then maybe you don't need the decryptor. So that pulls that piece off the table. So then the last piece is could the threat actor have potentially exfiltrated data from your network? Uh, and if they did, then you have to start looking at brand reputation. What will happen to your brand, your business, if that is made public? Uh, and then the you know the other, the one key piece that I want to add is that if an actor does exfiltrate data from your network, even if you pay the ransom demand, that still does not change any legal notice obligations. I think that's a common misconception uh, because that data is still considered compromised at that point in time. Uh, if the forensics prove that right, and after access those files or folders. Um, so really, it's just two big things. You need a decryptor to recover. And then what's the brand reputation uh, associated with your business if that gets out? Great. So, so, Thomas, I know that you work with both clients of medium size, as well as some very large institutions as well. Um, my question is, is, you know, we're hearing some of these numbers, 50, 60, 70, 80 million dollars of Bitcoin. Um, some companies that are being required of three, four, five million dollars. How hard is it for an organization to procure this massive amount of, of, of cryptocurrency? Is it difficult? Are there fees associated with it? Um, can you just go to Coinbase and, and open up an account to do something like that? How, how does that all work? Yeah, so it's, it's definitely not a, an, an easy process um, because you have to actually establish an account. You have to set up a wallet. You've got to be able to transfer funds into that wallet, and then you have to procure the Bitcoin. Now, if you have a, a million dollars in an account, it's very quick to, to purchase it at the market value. Sure. So, so that's, that's pretty straightforward. But most businesses don't have that set up. Uh, so we actually end up bringing in businesses like Coveware, who who this is literally what they do all day, every day. They have established process. Is uh, associated with it. So, Thomas, um, you know, we've spoken about we've spoken about a lot of different kind of items today, from some of the ransomware gangs uh, to Kaseya to procuring the crypto the, itself. Hey, can you hear me more? Not sure. Now what's you can hear you. There. Uh, no, okay. no, nothing. Nothing like a cyber podcast with a little without a little technical difficulty. So, no worries. <laughs> it's true to life, right? Um, so it was just, it was just, you know, starting to wrap up is, you know, thinking about, we've covered a lot today between the different types of uh, ransomware gangs, perhaps some of the more 
uh, prevalent uh, ones that are, are, are wreaking havoc today. Um, some of the um, systemic type of risks that could come really out of supply chain. Um, what Crow could really do to really help and help remediate our clients. Uh, Th- Thomas, um, if, if our clients and listeners were listening and wanted to engage Crow services, how can they reach you? How can they reach the Crow team? What's the easiest way? Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a, a couple different ways you can reach me. First is on LinkedIn. Just look me up, Thomas Britton. Uh, the second, you can get a hold of me at thomas.britton at kroll.com. And then lastly, uh, the Kroll team does have a distribution. Of course, technology always fails uh, right at the, the worst possible moment. Uh, I'll have that I'll actually get that distro over to you and include that in the meeting notes where they can reach the entire Kroll team. Absolutely. Well, Thomas, we I appreciate believe your time. At Kroll.com. I, I'm sorry. Can you say that one more time? Yeah. I believe it is, uh, should be cyber response at Kroll.com. Perfect. Well, Thomas, thanks for coming on the show and chatting cyber with us. Absolutely. Really appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care.